and welcome to Misbehave, the podcast where we explore human behavior in a business context. Season two of Misbehave is all about uncovering behavioral patterns which create success in life and business. We're joined by highly driven, accomplished individuals to assess their behavioral patterns and dive into how behaviors have influenced their journey. This episode features Mitchell Franklin, founder of Umatic Group, a collective of specialist recruitment companies operating across 25 countries. Mitchell set out at pace with a mission to change the face of the recruitment industry. Having already scaled to over 3 million, he has set his sights on building a tech product that tackles unconscious bias and an exit with billions to fund his ultimate goal of solving homelessness. Well, welcome Mitchell. We're really pleased to have you on the podcast. For the listeners, can you give us just a little bit of a summary of your journey to date? Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, obviously, thank you for having me. So yeah, I'm Mitchell, founder of the Umatic Group. Started off as one specialized recruitment company, but recently become a group with founding another one of our companies, sister companies that sits underneath it, and acquiring another and acquiring another next week. So there'll be a group of four companies underneath, um, all specialist boutique recruitment agencies. And where we all share a mission uh, to build a tech product that will slip into the recruitment industry and hopefully solve a lot of problems. So the recruitment companies are really the foundation to reach our end goal. So yeah, we've been we founded two and a bit years ago. Um, so it's been quite uh, quite the journey over the past two years. But yeah, it's um, been an amazing so far, and I know we've got a long way to go though. And it's safe to say you've had a pretty rapid growth. I mean, I think when I was like on your timeline on your website, it was. In, the, in 2021 alone, you changed offices three times because the team had grown so much. So talk to us a little bit about that journey and sort of, I guess, that rapidness of growth and whether that was anticipated, whether it kind of just grew arms and legs, what that felt like. Yeah, so we really had ambitious plans from from day one, but there was, there was things that I, I wasn't going to be ready for, which was or things I thought was going to be tougher and then things that I thought would be easier, but turned out to be tougher. So I thought acquiring customers was going to be quite a long journey. I'm a new brand. It's just me in my bedroom. Like, why would they trust me out of anyone? Um, I had a successful track record, but that was with someone else's company. So I just thought, why me? And it's going to take a long time to build this brand up. That was not the case at all. From day one, people were resonating with our brand. Even before I announced it, people were realizing I exited my last company and they were reaching out, asking me to support them. So very quickly, I was sitting in my spare bedroom, which was my sister's bedroom, which had unicorns around the corner. So every time I'd done a call, <laughs> it was like I had to explain where I was sitting and a bit about the business. I think people really bought into that. So all yeah. of this stuff and why we started and why I was doing what I was doing, it just acquired customers really quickly. Um, so that enabled us to hire more people. And that was the tough bit. That's where it got challenging. And I thought that would be, I thought that was going to be the easier bit. So it kind of flipped on its head. So yeah, hire, growing for customers was really easy, but then finding the people to help us cater to these customers and actually deliver the service I wanted to deliver was was definitely the tough bits. But um, yeah, we grew out of the bedroom, went into a small service office and within a couple of months grew out of that. And then a couple of months grew out of that and made the decision to move into central London. So yeah, it was a couple of free office moves in that first year. Wow. What and a journey. It, I know. And it's, and it's so interesting that bit that you say about recruiting the right people, because I feel like I resonate with your journey. Obviously I have a recruitment background. Um, I started you originally, and to be honest, a big piece of our behavioral product now is about 
the recruitment industry being broken and it being very toxic and mm-hmm. that actually a lot of the time doesn't solve a problem. Um, and it feels like you have a very similar mission to that. So I can, I can imagine that recruiting people in that have that belief, but who come from that industry, who've maybe established bad habits in previous companies was tricky. Talk us through, you know, how do you, I guess, cross-check some of that value and positioning fit when you're still operating in an industry that probably is still has some of that residual stuff going on? Yeah, I, I think the, the hard thing uh, for me was a transition between being a team lead somewhere um, and then becoming a founder. And I was always involved in the interview process in my last company. And I gave a lot of opinions on who I think we should hire, but ultimately it wasn't my final decision. Mm -hmm. And I was also looking at it from a very different perspective. It's like, can this person come in and uh, add value to the business? And as a team lead, that's all I really cared about. Um, So then becoming a founder, there was so much more to think about. And a lot of the time, it was stuff I didn't know. So it was learning a lot. I was only 23 when I started the business. So I was still at the start of my journey through my mid-20s. So I was learning a lot about myself whilst trying to grow a business and learn about others. Um, so yeah, that was it. Was tough to just evaluate that on what we were really looking for because uh, we had a very yeah. clear vision for the business, but not necessarily a clear vision of who we needed to help us build the business. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of trial and error to be honest, and definitely made some mistakes along the way. Uh, but um, I think identifying those mistakes allowed us to get to where we are now, and I, I couldn't feel more fortunate for the team we've got, um, the team that's relocated to Dubai with us, the team that's still in the UK, and we've recently made some of them shareholders, just really brought people together in the business now to share this journey together. But yeah, it was definitely a little bit tougher to identify the traits I thought I wanted. And I think in a like a post-COVID world, a lot changed. People's expectations, what they wanted, how they wanted their structure to be. And that just it was a lot of aligning and thinking what exceptions could we make and what didn't work and what did work for us. And yeah, it took some trial and error, but I think I think we've got there now. Um, but hopefully we can yeah, continue to bring the people in that we've got now because I'm yeah, I could like I can be more fortunate for the guys, the guys we've got. I can see, uh, Mitchell, from your profile that you have a massive appetite for drive and change and being sort of ahead of the curve and almost disruptor of marketplace. Tell us a little bit about what kind of change do you want to generate in the recruitment industry? What's your goals? So the recruitment industry itself, um, there's two sides of it um, because we're still very much a recruitment company despite having an end product that we're trying to build. The core foundations is a recruitment company. We're a traditional recruitment agency. I've never tried to get away from that. Um, but it's just doing things better. Like we're definitely not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just trying to make it a hell of a lot smoother, make the experience better for the people that work within it. And that will to kick on to the customers and clients and candidates they work with. Um, but the end goal, so the, the difference we want to make there is more to tech companies and, and, and society itself. And the product itself is about removing unconscious bias um, which is a very, very hard thing to do because um, we all have it no matter um, how much we think we don't. Um, yeah. Like myself, I get a couple of hundred applications a week across the roles we've got internally, and I'll even catch myself having a slight unconscious bias now and again. I really have to be aware of it. So the product we're trying to build and the software we want to implement is helping remove that unconscious bias and helping give everyone a level playing field. And we can't help people get jobs. Like that's their that's their thing. Like they have to go and interview and they have to do it. But so much of it is people not even having the opportunity to present themselves just because of uh, the way their names spell or where they're from or how their CV is laid out, stuff like that that really shouldn't, uh, people should stop them from getting opportunity. So it's about creating a level playing field, giving people an equal opportunity. Um, so really recruitment on a whole, like on a global scale, that's, that's the real end goal and the legacy we want to leave behind with this. 
Yeah. And I think you can see that with some of the stuff. I mean, you know, when you go on your website, you're talking about like diversity placements. You started a women in tech blog. Like I think all of that stuff speaks outside of just the achievement piece that often dominates the recruitment industry, but it's actually about how do we drive some change? And, you know, for us, when we talk about unconscious bias, like even if you take the behavioral element of that, that's one piece of it. Often we recruit, we call it like the like me bias. You recruit people like you, right? Like it's that whole saying that seems to have gone viral around like, would you go for a beer with that person on a weekend? Well, that's a like me bias. Like ultimately you don't have to go for a beer with someone if they're the right fit for the job. You don't have to be friends with them. You don't have to socialize with them outside of work. But ultimately if they bring the right behaviors, skill sets, they add something different to the team, that in itself, you know, even that small piece can add with that unconscious bias piece in addition to all of the other things that we're measuring so yeah so it's it's, like having a culture ad right not just a a culture match having someone that's going to bring something to the table that's different to what you've got now if you really are trying to do something different i think there are a lot of companies out there a lot of teams that don't actually need to be that diverse which i think maybe goes against everything through else we're going to talk about but well (laughs) but you don't don't necessarily have to have a diverse team if you're building a simple product and a proven method but if you're trying to if you want to drive change and something's never been done you probably need to bring people from different backgrounds and different mindsets together. And that's so fascinating around the thought process of like cognitive diversity. And we talk all the time about how like we're not massive fans of like statistic based diversity that, you know, you will have industries and tech is one of them, right? Where if you've got, for example, if we just take gender as the first thing, if you've got less women going into tech, you don't want to then a statistic to have 50% of your leadership team be women is unrealistic if 50% yeah. of your business isn't that because you then haven't got a, you, that is a statistic that you would have to almost do like positive discrimination yeah. to get there. It's actually more about like you're talking about removing unconscious bias, creating, we talk a lot about creating a level playing field, yeah. making sure that whatever you're tackling from a diversity perspective, people have equal opportunities for yeah. growth, not necessarily guaranteed opportunities to hit a statistic. Yeah, yeah. But naturally, if we always look for the best people, we will naturally build a diverse team. And that's what we've done. I think in our Dubai office alone is a 50-50 split in male and female. And we've got diverse pe- uh, a diverse team from different backgrounds and um, different races and whatever else. Um, and that's because we've never really gone out and looked for it. We've never tried to make an equal split or whatever else. We've just always looked for the best people. And I think naturally, if you're doing that, you're you'll find the best people and have a diverse team. And I think diversity comes in lots of different ways, doesn't it? For for us, where often we do a lot of work uh, in, in with leadership teams. And for me, uh, leadership teams that have diversity of thinking yeah. is like yeah. is is absolutely critical to making key decisions at a top level you know that that's less sort of skill and task based it's more about like that ha- having people with different backgrounds and mindsets and i think you know if you can bring in people who have different perspective to challenge in a different way and not for everybody just to agree with each other all of the yeah. time like that's super super important particularly at leadership level um where sometimes you are like challenging the the strategy or strategic thinking or big decisions um tell us a little bit about like your infrastructure on making decisions at, at the top so i like to run ideas by a lot of different people um from people internally some of the founding members um maybe even someone um like this may be newer to the business, just like be very open to them. This is what's happening. What your thoughts be? This is to people outside the organization as well. Like some of my friends that have watched the business grow from day one. So even family members. So, um, 
even small decisions I typically run by a lot of people. Um, and it's, it's often I go against what a lot of people say. Um, <laughs> not intentionally. I don't intentionally want to go against it. But when I get told a lot of things by a lot of people, my gut is usually go the opposite way. Um, because most of the time when I've followed the crowd, that's when we've made our biggest mistakes. That's when um, most of the things have backfired or whatever else. So I always trust my gut no matter what, but I do like to sense check it. And sometimes um, people, have, people have given me a bit of reality check and I have gone down the advice they've given me. Um, but I always like to just run it by either way. But ultimately, I'm going to make the decision um, what I feel like is best for the business um, and, and everyone else within it. But um, yeah, I always like to sense check it with a variety of people. That's so interesting because you actually scored really high on something we call the source of information, but it's like you scored high on internal, which generally describes someone who likes to sort of inform their own thoughts, sense check it themselves, and then maybe do an external check afterwards. Mm. But usually they've made the decision or they know they go with their gut. Um, And that's really interesting because you're really high in that. So when you were saying, I like to sense check it with lots of people, I was thinking, oh, that that doesn't sit with the map. But then you then you clarified (laughs) it. And, you know, it's it's really interesting because sometimes that can be difficult as you grow the business. And particularly if you've got investors coming in Mm -hmm. or that, you, you know, you've got stakeholders where you have to be able to um, to to take on board stakeholders' opinions. How how do you manage if you, like, for example, you're making a decision that's unpopular? How do you manage that? I know I've definitely not managed as well sometimes. Um, <laughs> so I've learned from better ways to do it. But yeah, high levels of communication. Um, I think even if a decision has has been made or it's nearly made, it's almost like looping back with the team and saying, "Look, this is." This is what's in conversation. Just want to keep you guys in the loop. And, and not to the point where if they don't need to be involved in the decision, not giving them power where they feel like, oh, I wanted to make a decision on that and you have, I haven't been listened to. Because that's what I've seen in the past is that you, you try and give everyone the power to have an opinion and then you're going to leave a lot of unhappy people if, if they felt like it was riding on their opinion. So it's more like having open communication, I think, and, and making sure there's a clear line of we're going to value your opinion, but that's not necessarily going to be a deciding factor in this. So we want to keep communication high. We're going to be honest where we're at with this, uh, this decision, but also get your opinion on it. And this may go either way, but we're going to keep you in the loop no matter what. Um, I think where it's gone wrong in the past is where there's been little to no communication and a, a big announcement of a change or something else like that. Or the other way where there's been almost too much communication where they feel like people that probably aren't going to make a significant impact on the decision itself has been given too much of an opinion on it and when it hasn't gone their way they're almost like devastated that it, it, they haven't been listened to um so it's just finding that balance between high communication but keeping the people like that are around the table that are going to actually have an impact on the decision what their opinion is and letting sure the team knows what's going on as well yeah and that's a cultural challenge that we see in so many businesses that we work with you've either got almost like quite dictatorial leadership around this is what we're doing. We don't need to explain our reasons to you. Like this is the direction. Or you kind of run that risk of what you talked about of almost like decision by consensus. And sometimes with that, A, the right decision isn't made because it's a consensus decision as opposed to what's right. And then you do get that thing of like people feel slighted. There's almost like an illusion of control there that and I think where we've seen it work really well is that midpoint communication which you described a bit of there where it's almost like 
from the outset, you explain, yeah. listen, I've got some thoughts. I want your input and I value your input, but ultimately the final decision is what I'm going to make. Mm-hmm. But I want your informed opinion to help drive some of that so that it's almost like you're setting out your stall at the beginning to give yeah, them yeah. an understanding of how much control they have on that. I want your input, but I'm not going to guarantee yeah. that, you know, I'm going to make that decision if I don't feel like that's right for the business. Tell us a little bit, because obviously a big piece of, um, of what it seems like you're trying to do. And even if you think about like the, the title of the company, you matter, tell us a little bit about your internal culture and how you've sort of deliberately created that to be different to what is often the culture in a recruitment business. Yes. It's a good question. And something that I've been forced to like ponder on more recently, because I had a very clear vision of what the you matter brand stood for when we started it. Um, and I feel like it got lost a little bit and that, going back to where I sort of listened to other people's advice or done what I thought was the right way to grow a business or to grow a team. So, so the UMATA brand is basically stands for everything that I always wanted myself. Um, in roles myself, I felt um, didn't get uh, recognized or fairly rewarded for the contribution and the sacrifices I made. So I wanted to build a platform for equally as motivated sales individuals and just people in general and give them the platform they deserve. Um, so the UMATA brand kicked off, and like I said, it got amazing response from the community, our partners, the customers in it, and we started hiring really quickly. And I feel like we got a little bit lost in what the UMATA brand meant, and it, it, it became a little bit fluffy, like, oh, it means you can uh, have loads of flexibility and you don't have to do this and you don't have to do that and just relax. And like that's the sort of pressure we were getting put on to do that and ultimately that's never how i've been i've always been a top performer in anything i've done and i know that that isn't the way i work yet i'm now running a business that people sort of misassociated what the brand was about so that was a that was a weird period um <laughs> getting through that because it took it took some time to realign and some people wasn't aligned with it they were like oh, I, don't, I don't want to have to put the, put that amount of effort in and I don't want to have to do this. I have to do that. So just realigning what our brand actually stood for. And, um, yeah, the brand is all about giving people the platform that I always wanted myself and I could always dream of. Um, so it's like two sides of the coin, really. One of them is recognition, um, mm-hmm. by making sure that these guys, the, the sacrifice they do make and therefore they do put in, they get the recognition for it. Um, whether they're sales or not, and also the rewards, um, if they are a top performer, they should get fairly rewarded for that. Um, I really don't see this as my company. Like it's not just me that has that's owned this. Um, there's a few shareholders we've made recently, but every single person I see is as, as a potential owner of this business. And I feel like they should act like it. And if they act like it, they should get the rewards for it. So if they are going to uh, be a high performer, they should be fairly rewarded in their compensation for it as well. Um, so yeah, a lot of people make sacrifices to be here and that's what the UMA brand's really about. That, high performance and sacrifices but we do it in the right way um we be kind to each other and we make sure that we're building something with a shared vision we're not just building our own desk like we've got a shared vision but we're also high performance and that can't be compromised on yeah and i think that that piece around the recognition outside of just the sales or the placements or you know however you i think is is interesting in that in that particular industry. I mean, I know when I used to 
run teams and have a desk myself when I used to work in recruitment many, many years ago. Um, it was all about that. And, you know, it was almost like, you know what, you can have a pretty toxic personality if you're bringing in like 500 grand a year in fees, like we're kind of okay with that. Yeah. And it's about, you know, it sounds like for you guys, it's about that balance that yes, we expect you to perform, but there's also a behavioral and value driven aspect yeah. here. Um, and we have a lot of clients where that piece you described around this real balance, right? Between yeah. values and ethics and wanting to stand for something and high performance that actually the two don't need to be separate. You can achieve high performance by but still maintaining some of those things as part of it. I think it's knowing who who you are as a leader as well, right? And what your brand stands for, because someone else may disagree with what I say and they may build an equally as amazing business because they know what they stand for and what their brand stands for. And and for us, like that that ethics of being a good person is so key. Um, and we've had, there's one key example, there's a couple of where people have been good performers in our business and they've just, they're just so unaligned with what we are. And there's, there's a situation where people were hitting their target and beyond and we've decided to make a decision, and I would about to say hard decision, but it's not really because we know what we're about, and we've actually exited them from the business because no matter amount of money they could have brought in, they would have destroyed what we're building. And I think the reason we're able to make decisions like that more easily is because we're not building a business with a one- or two-year forecast thinking this is where we want to be next year. We know where we want to be at the end of the decade. So making decisions like that, and one person is no, no one person's bigger than the business because this is where we're trying to get to. We're trying to make a change on a global scale. So like you're a phenomenal individual, but you don't fit into this business because you're a bit of a dick. If I, I don't know if I can say that on a podcast or not, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you just said it. Just said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like no one person's bigger. And I think you've got to understand that. But in some businesses, that one person might be the perfect fit for them because maybe that one person's what they need to get to where they're going. So it's more about understanding who, who you are as a business and where you want to go. Yeah. For sure. And staying true to that, I think it's like yeah. making sure that you stay true. Sometimes, you know, we talk a lot about like, sometimes you can get lost in the evolution of your business and external factors that hit you like COVID and mm. cost crisis of living and all of that, like you can get lost. And sometimes you end up like losing your way and, and losing sight of what's important yeah. to you as the founder, but also the team and what do they want to be part of. Um, so achievement is obviously a big piece for you. You're talking about high performance and you being like a high performer. Mm -hmm. Tell us, what is it? you've got this plan up to the next seven years, the end of the decade. What does achievement look like for you? What does success look like? I would say it's one of my biggest driving factors. I always have to be working towards something. When I don't have something to work towards, I feel the shift in my energy, my mindset, mental health, everything. If I don't have something to work towards, I, I dip as a person. So yeah, like achieving things for me is just like a way of life, I think. Like you've always got to be working towards something. And I try and work on that with our team as well. I really believe in mapping out your goals in 24-month stints. Uh, we call it just 24-month plans. So we all, everyone has that in the business. And we do that with them when they join as well. Because I'm, I'm a big believer that it's hard to achieve a lot in a year. But everyone, like, you know, at the end, end of the year, it's New Year's Eve. Next year is my year because they don't feel like they've achieved a lot. Where actually, if you look at what you've achieved this year, you've, you've almost done everything. And now it's time to go and, like, conquer that next year. So I work on, like, 24-month periods in my in my personal life and business. Just, like, everything's done in these 24-month blocks. But, yeah, I, I find, I don't know, I don't know how I'd live if I wasn't aiming to achieve something. It's we know. We've read your map. You're, like, <laughs> high achievement, high goal focus. There's achievement written all over this. <laughs> We've also read 
read your LinkedIn profile and all of the achievements, first person to, mil- to bill a million dollars, all of that sort of stuff. So we've seen that, you know, thinking about your previous role, because obviously, I mean, you just have to look at that list of achievements. What did that, you know, what did that feel like? Did you go into that with set goals like that? Or did it sort of build when it, when you started hitting some of them? What did that achievement process feel like for you? Great question. Uh, and I, I kind of wish I knew the answer to it. Um, <laughs> it's just an ongoing thing for me. Like, um, I definitely recognize the achievement once it's happened, but for a very short period, it's like, I don't really, um, sit in the achievement for, um, for a long time. There's only really one achievement I've, I've really like enjoyed for a while. And that was the recent award, the entrepreneur award. And that's like, for me, has been the highlight of my life. So I, I really, I've really enjoyed that for a couple of weeks. Like really talked about it a lot. Like Give yourself some in, time. in there now and again, but even that now, like I, I, I still recognize that's the biggest achievement of my life so far. Like I've never felt happier in that, in that single moment when my name got called for that award. But even now, like, I, I kind of don't remember how I felt. I still know I felt like that. And I told people I felt like that. And I really did. But that's kind of been benched now. It's like been put to the side. What's next? Because we can't live on that, 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 that award forever. I can't be that guy in five years still talking about that one night. So it's like, I've kind of <laughs> got to always be, always be moving on. So that's what I've always done. I've always had this big goal. And then just had little tasks all the time that I'm checking off and checking off and checking off. And once they've been checked off, move them to the side and on to the next. And that's how I've always operated in like business, personal life, literally everything I do. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, great achievement. Um, Talking about achievements, you've obviously got some amazing partnerships, like some of the the people that you're working with, like Sky, ITV, uh, eBay. What does it take to to get a partnership with the likes of these companies? Um, Genuinely, just be yourself. Like there's so many other people out there trying to do what they think they're supposed to be doing yeah. and they like you're gonna if you do that you're gonna be one of 100 doing it whereas it just be like these partnerships have come from like sky i can speak about that one as a great example that came from one of the engineering managers that i built up a great relationship with and he introduced me to the person that manages the psl and gave me a great referral this is this is how i work this is who i am and it's just like these 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 partnerships haven't come from any special sales tactic. There's no golden nugget I can give that I, w- I would love to. Because I'd love to go and pass it on to everyone else, or probably package it up and sell it if I had the real answer. <laughs> but really, it's just being yourself and focusing on again. No, going back to earlier, knowing who you are, and it's like I know we can deliver a service to that customer, um, so we're going to do what we need to do. And if if they don't need our support, we'll go and deliver it somewhere else. And eventually, we're going to become the people in demand. And that's how things have always always kind of come round. Like just focusing on what we do best and not having this any any particular tactic around it. That's kind of like us in the sense of believing in your product and your service yeah. and knowing that like if it's a fit for someone, then amazing. But if it's not, then it's not a fit, right? There's plenty of yeah, people yeah. that would want your service. So I suppose it's like going into that negotiation or that or that introduction where it's it's okay if it doesn't work out, if it's not yeah, a fit. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. So what's next for you? Obviously, you've got your seven-year plan. What's coming on the horizon? The big plans to expand out here in Dubai now. London was our HQ, and we're still going to have a presence in the UK, but we've made Dubai our HQ now. So this is where all the good stuff's going to happen. We're going to be hiring software engineers, our very own software engineers, in the hopefully by the end of the year. That's the, that's the goal on it. Um, and they're going to be sitting here with us, and we're going to be giving them our knowledge to 
build this product to fit in the marketplace. That's going to be an interesting experience. I've already learned so much since founding the business for a recruitment company. And now in a couple of months, I'm going to be leading software engineers as well. So that's going to be a whole new experience. Um, and yeah, more expansion in North America. Uh, we're going to take it over to Toronto. Um, that's our next office location. Um, so we'll have boots on the ground there. And I'm looking, I love Toronto. Or Canada in general is amazing. So um, after a couple of years here, I'll probably spend some time there as well. And um, yeah, exit the business and uh, then start working on some personal endeavors um, with the revenue or the sale price of what we're going to um, exit UMATA for. I plan on using to try and solve homelessness. Um, I feel like I've got a pretty solid plan of how to do it, but I just need to have a lot of funding because it needs to be solved as a business issue rather than a than a charity issue. So I've got the I've got the plan, but we need the um, we need the proceeds from our exit to actually go and solve homelessness. Amazing. So you talked a little bit about wanting to having this aspiration to solve homelessness and we wanted to dig into that a little bit with you Mitch around I think the first question is you know you talk about it being a business problem and I'm sure the listeners and us are really interested to dig in you know some of the thought behind that and you know why you think that it's a business problem. Yeah, well, most problems in the world, if turned into a business problem, will probably be solved a lot quicker. Um, but like, yeah, if we could solve this problem collectively without bringing business into it, I'm sure that would be a very noble thing for the nation and the world to do. But unfortunately, if there's not some incentive behind it and um, something to push someone to do to do it, then the reality is that people probably won't do the things and go the extra mile to make this happen. But turning it into a business and then making it slightly lucrative for people and getting people involved for, by that way, um, you're probably going to find a lot more people with a lot more resources that will be more interested in solving this problem. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure millions of problems can be solved in the world if it got turned into a business problem. Um, because, yeah, like being a charity, you rely on donations um, and you rely on, very similar to the government, rely on taxes of donations. And um, there's only so far a donation will go. But when there's a, a business plan behind it and business profits to, to aspire to, then uh, things would be done a, 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 usually a hell of a lot quicker. Um, so that's why it needs to be a business to solve the problem. Interesting. So when you sort of talk about that idea and almost that the sale of your current business mm -hmm. funding this, it's actually about setting up a business that then solves it versus actually going down the charity route that other people are currently yeah, doing. Yeah, so we need a quite a large amount of money to kickstart this and then um, hopefully the, the profits will continue to allow it to be sustainable. Um, but yeah, that's where the figure comes from to sell the business. Um, because I don't think uh, until people see that this works, we'll get behind it as investors or anything like that. So I basically need to become my own investor to make this make this dream become a reality to solve the problem, uh, which is why there's such big aspirations with, with the current business now. Yeah. What do you think needs to happen, Mitch? What needs to happen next? What needs to happen and what should happen? Probably two different questions. Like there needs to be a humongous overhaul on... The people in the people in charge that are making the decisions, uh, as well as society's perception. Um, but then I think you can't expect someone to have the same uh, desire as you and the same like motivations or the same interests. So to solve a problem, you need to incentivize the general public um, to, and then just open their mind as well. But if the people are in the people in charge of doing that are so out of touch and have never experienced anything like that themselves, then it's going to be very hard for them to actually do the things necessary to to make to make the place a bit bit better. 
Yeah. We often talk about, you know, when people want to make changes that they focus on changing a process or having an idea and mm. then giving a process to it and people will then get on board. But actually what you're describing very nicely links to the podcast because it's actually a behavioral change that's required. Yeah. Um, and not just of a few people, but across the board. And and, and I think yeah. that behavioral change is way more harder to influence. Would you, what's your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you guys could probably answer this better than me, but like, I think it's very hard to change behavior at gone a certain age. Like, I just probably a whole other podcast in itself, but I believe it needs to be stripped back to education. Like, the education system is completely ruined. Like, it's so outdated from like that 19 something that it's no longer relevant to not only the real world application, but also how our world is and what the aspirations of the individuals within it. Um, so that probably is where we probably need to start. Um, and these things aren't going to happen overnight. So it sounds crazy, like change educational system to solve this problem. But this problem is a few decades in, in process anyway. Like it needs to have a long-term view. So starting with the educational system is probably the first step and educating people to come through come through, and actually have, have fresher ideas and people in power from different backgrounds as well. I think all of that would be a great place to start. And that's interesting around, you know, we talk when we drive change within businesses that there's almost this transition model and this journey that people go on and that that education and the understanding, the learning and the training and all of that comes at a, at a beginning and that then incites some behavioral change because people are more informed about it that they're, they're almost driven because they understand more and i think it's interesting that concept that you've got around versus just setting out to change people's minds actually if we can incentivize mm. them right because people are bought into if you just want to change everybody's minds or you want everybody to buy into a common cause yeah. it's highly unlikely that's going to happen because people have got certain things that they're more passionate about so i think that's fascinating around actually if you can make mm. everybody incentivized but maybe it's not through the traditional means of just getting incentivization yeah. about a cause it's actually a business model behind it what was the what was the driver for this mitch you know what's your cuz with every cause that and every passion, there's a driving yeah. point behind that. So where did that come from? Where did that connection come from with you um, and homelessness? So this is probably one of the few questions I don't have a great answer to because there's no real like meaning behind it. Like um, people yeah. probably assume I have this story that interlocks it. And if I did, I'd be happy to share it. But um, the best the best story I can give is I just remember like from a very, very early age, remember seeing uh people that are homeless and just feeling that it was wrong. And I think as a child, you begin to know what's right and wrong. And I remember mm -hmm. like that got droned, like proper droned into me very early on. Like this is right. This is wrong. That's how I was brought up. And I remember thinking this is wrong. Like why is someone outside when it's freezing cold, raining? And I remember being like 11, 12 years old and always knowing that was wrong. And that's just been stuck with me ever since. Um, so if I can have a change on that, that's that I'd be very very happy to leave leave my legacy on the world as having a positive change on that. And that totally makes sense. I mean, it's a justice piece, isn't it? And sometimes our experiences and environments, just because you've never experienced, doesn't mean you don't feel it. Yeah. Like, And I think you see things when you're young and they do leave a lasting impression on you. We're all touched in different ways, depending on what we've been exposed to. Yeah. And I think that's a that is something you've obviously connected in it mm. and it's not and it's not gone away it's yeah, yeah. stayed with you and we've actually got a future podcast episode all around that around how 
you know, you can use your privilege yeah. for power, that you don't actually have to have had personal experience about something to be a really strong advocate or driver for change. Yeah, yeah. So Mitch, you uh, talked about the fact that the sale of your current business is going to feed into this big sort of big vision, this big picture piece for solving the problem of homelessness. You mentioned um, that your goal was to uh, raise the business at at a value of 4.5 billion. Mm Tell me, I mean, you're a man with a plan. Tell me where that figure came from, because that's a yeah. that's a big, big goal. goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for most people from the outside looking in, we, we're a recruitment company. So throwing that number around as a recruitment business is so in another world. And I'm not naive enough to think we're going to build a recruitment company that is going to be valued to that. And even if it was, it wouldn't have a buyer anyway. So it's like, there's no point in <laughs> building a recruitment company that big. So the plan is, um, and it's recently really started to take shape now, is to build a group of specialized recruitment companies. Uh, we're not trying to be the biggest or best recruitment company in any particular one area. We want to be a collection of really niche, high performance recruitment companies. Um, so that's recently um, come into effect with one merger we've done with a machine learning and AI uh, recruitment company and also um, a huge name in the industry that we've just uh, acquired to add to our group as well which is in the digital space so we're already we're covering a lot of the recruitment industry with these boutique specialized agencies and these agencies are basically lean enough and profitable enough to help fund the development of our tech platform um, and the reason I wanted to do it this way is the plan was always to build this tech platform, but I never wanted to take VC funding. I never wanted to give up 40, 50, 60% of my business, probably for a similar reason of the view I have on the government. I probably didn't want to make rich VCs richer. Um, I wanted to do this like so authentically that that didn't make sense. It didn't feel right to have that in the plan, even though it was an option when doing this business plan. So the route I wanted to go down was, we know we're good at recruitment, so why don't we start a recruitment company that's hyper-performant, super lean, and the people that help us build these foundations of these specialized recruitment companies, rather than giving 40 50% to a VC, give it to the people within, the people that help us build this, and let that act as an engine to kick off profit and use that to hire software engineers, to hire everyone we need to be part of our tech company. Um, so we're basically self-funded tech business um, that allows us to to get to a valuation of of the four point five billion because um, a recruitment company is valued way differently, um, and this is where VCs and people that will probably become my friends when I want this valuation because yeah, a recruitment company is valued on EBIT. It all comes down to how much profit you're making and the multiply in your business. Whereas a tech company can be valued so differently. It's more about the yeah about the growth that you can acquire in this market. And the platform we're building is all about removing unconscious bias in the hiring process and streamlining the recruitment process in general. So technically, every single company globally, as long as they have a Wi-Fi connection and a laptop, will be able to use our software. And then there will be a free light demo version. So everyone will have access and an enterprise version as well. So technically, our market cap is the the entire world, every single business that ever exists. Um, so that's that's the plan to get that to get that going. Um, over the coming months, we're going to be looking at the first development of it, um, and all of this is being done completely self-funded by the small recruitment companies we have as part of the group. Amazing. We knew there'd be a plan there. <laughs> Watch this space. Watch this space. <laughs> Are you doing anything with that currently, or is that sort of a long-term piece for you? 
Yes, it's a good question. Um, so I tried to, right? I tried to do more. Um, but what, what I realized is the more, and I don't know, maybe, maybe someone will tell me I'm crazy, but the more I focus on it now, the more the end goal is going to be delayed. So it's like, for me, I, all I'm focusing on is how to do this, because I know if I get that pot of cash, and we pl- the goal we charge the business for is 4.5 billion. So the, the proceeds I'm going to walk away from, I know is enough to go and solve this. So I could spend more time doing this now. And it's really hard not to, because like, I would love to like, be more involved and uh, give more to charity and stuff. Like I try and do my bit, but if I try and do more now, it's only going to delay that and we might miss our goal. It might, might, maybe we won't sell for as much. So for me, it's like tunnel vision and I know what the end goal is. And as soon as it sells, I can basically kickstart this, kickstart this plan. I think that's a great example of somebody being focused on one, one thing because yeah. actually it's so easy in business to, and we've definitely experienced it in our business, you know, it's so easy to get pulled into wanting to solve so many things yeah. at the same time. That goal orientation that you've got that's super high also drives a solution piece in yeah. you that if you see a problem, you'll want to solve it. So I think the fact that you've sort of said, right, listen, there has to be a linear, I mean, again, one of your more dominant patterns is process. So it's got to be a linear order to this. We need to scale this business, exit, take the funds and actually then fully dedicate ourselves to this cause um, to be the driver and the order that that needs to happen, I think is is a really great thing that you've identified that actually that's the way it needs to happen. This is just, I think entrepreneurs and founders, we've often got this piece in us that just makes us want to solve everything right now, (laughs) but sometimes that's not the right way to do it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, thank you, you know, for joining us. I think that's been, it's really interesting to listen to your journey and we're definitely excited to hear more about this. I'm kind of like, let's fast forward seven years and let's see, <laughs> let's see what these achievements have been. And I really, now you've intrigued me about what this idea is to solve everything um, from a homeless perspective. So where, you know, we will be following along on your journey and anticipating those changes. Amazing. Thanks so much. So let's wrap up with a few takeaways from today's episode. So the first one was around Mitchell's obviously high achievement, high goal focus. And he talked about moving from achievement to achievement fairly quickly. And there's a piece here around to really stimulate that motivation. It isn't just about the achievement. It's about then taking time out to celebrate the achievements, whether that's for you as the founder or the leader or with your team If you skim over the celebration of the achievement, you can often actually end up demotivating yourself or demotivating your team or almost giving them fatigue of those achievements by not stopping to recognize. The second thing, um, obviously there was a big weaving through of the whole episode around unconscious bias. And that's obviously the product that Mitchell and the team are working on. And he mentioned this thought process of culture ad versus culture match. And there is a piece um, within unconscious bias around this whole like me piece. So actually flipping your mindset a little bit around when you're recruiting people and often you can look for people that are like you or are like your culture versus flipping that on its head and saying, you know what, how would this person add to our team or add to our culture, even if they're different to what we already have? The last thing we talked about was obviously Mitchell's big goals, his big goal to scale the business from where it is now at just over 3 million up to a billion dollar exit. Um, And then the ability 
of that exit to then fund and enable him to solve this ultimate goal of solving homelessness. What was interesting about that is that often people who have some of the patterns that Mitchell has around high goal orientation, high achievement, high initiation is they want to solve everything now or they want to do everything now and sometimes then end up juggling too many things and not having the level of success that they could have because there's too many competing priorities. So if you've got some of those patterns, it's about consciously thinking about the order in which things need to happen for maximum success. So what do you need to do first before some of the other goals can actually come into play and happen? Thank you for listening to Misbehave. Follow us so you don't miss out on other episodes.